You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Good morning! How is everyone doing this morning? I am just a little bit excited to be here. Anybody else at all? (laughs) That was really underwhelming, guys. Anybody else excited to be here this morning? Much better. We are the 930 crew. We show up awake, man. Well, we're working through uh, a series this summer called Soul Work, Caring for the Most Important Part of You. And every single week, we've been looking at different spiritual practices, and I think what you're going to start to see, even as we go this week, is some of these actually overlap quite a bit with each other or bleed into each other, because what we're after is not just a list of kind of religious rules or rituals. What we're after in this series is becoming the type of people that Jesus wants us to be, people that look like him, who move out into the world and and love and live the way that he loved and lived during his ministry here on earth, and also in the process a deeply cultivated soul where there is rest and there is peace. And so I want to begin this morning by asking you this simple question. Where does your mind tend to wander when you are alone? (laughs) That's a rhetorical question. Don't answer it out loud. Where does your mind tend to wander when you are alone? If there is one place on the planet where I find my mind getting restless when I am alone, when I find myself alone, there's no other place like this where I get restless like this place right here on the screen. Stuck in Michigan construction traffic. Anybody else at all, right? Like, we all know this experience, right? You're driving down the highway and you're making good time, and then all of a sudden, if you're mapping it or you see the, the red headlights or the red taillights up in front of you, or you see the map and the, the dreaded red line of construction traffic death on there, and you, <laughs> and you pull up, and all of a sudden, your good time comes to an absolute standstill and you find yourself alone, where does your mind tend to go in those moments when you are alone? If you're anything like me, I'm the jerk that always goes into the left lane and tries to like fly by everybody else, which is technically the thing that you're supposed to do. I can send you some MDOT articles. But then there's always the self-proclaimed sheriff that likes to straddle both lanes, right? And this person makes me crazy. Don't be that person, okay? Uh, My sister, she actually starts driver's ed this week. (laughs) This is great. She told my mom, she goes, uh, my mom texted me this last night. She goes, I don't care where I take driver's ed, just so long as the same people who taught Brad how to drive are not teaching me how to drive, okay? (laughs) But where does our mind tend to go when we find ourselves in the moment of, like, construction and just stand still and stop? Like, if you're anything like me, I get really agitated and antsy in those moments, right? Where I tend to think like where I am going is way more important than where everybody else around me is headed. And so I get really annoyed in this interruption, in this kind of alone standstill time. 
Like, don't they know I'm a pastor? I'm doing the Lord's work here, right? No, like, <laughs> but there's this, like, there's this assumption that a lot of us arrive to where, like, what we're doing is way more important than what everybody else around us is doing. And so we find ourselves stopped, and our mind just kind of goes all kinds of different places. Where does your mind tend to wander when you find yourself alone? Well, if you're anything like me, a lot of times my mind tends to wander to a preoccupation with myself in some way, shape, or form. Right? Don't they know that where I need to go is more important than where they need to go? Like, maybe you have found yourself alone with me right now. What do they think of me right now? How will I look if my kid makes that decision? We often, when we find ourselves and our minds wandering, tend to turn inward towards ourselves and an obsession with ourselves. Now, I know how important you are, okay? I know that you have demands at work and people who depend on you. I know you have mouths to feed and kids to run to practice and Netflix shows to binge and a social media personality the world cannot live without. But what if for a moment we are reminded that it's in the aloneness that the world doesn't actually revolve around us. That we're actually way smaller than a lot of us think we are. Like what if there was a spiritual practice of being alone that could actually cultivate some real inner peace in your life? A spiritual practice that when, when put into practice can bring clarity to hard decisions that you have to make or humble you or remind you that you're simply not as important as you think you are? What if there was a spiritual practice of aloneness that could empower you to move out into the world from a place of love and deep stability and deep peace? Well, there is. And it's a practice called solitude. It's a practice called solitude that Jesus lived out all the time. And solitude is simply this. I brought a quote from a great author named Ruth Haley Bart, and this is what she says about solitude. She says, it's an opportunity to interrupt this cycle, right? This cycle of perpetual just noise and mind wandering. It's an opportunity to interrupt that by turning off the noise and stimulation of our lives so that we can hear our loneliness and our longing calling us deeper into the only relationship that can satisfy our longing. That's what solitude is. For some of you, that sounds miserable. <laughs> like for some of us, that sounds miserable because we don't know how to be alone. And to be quite honest, a lot of us are not very good at being alone. Friends, don't confuse enjoying being alone with being good at being alone. Because those are two very different things. And Jesus actually models a powerful way in which all of us are called to be alone, but not to be emptied in that space, not to withdraw in that space, but for the sake of going out into the world in love. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verse 9 today. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And Jesus, when he was alone, he made intentional time to be alone in his ministry it was a priority. He didn't let his mind wander to any random place. He was very focused about his time alone. It was a place of peace and fuel for his ministry and where love was cultivated for his father and for others. And so Mark chapter 1, verse 9. This is right at the start of Jesus' ministry. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending uh, on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I just got to tell you, the relationship of the Trinity is absolutely stunning. It is stunning. I love the way the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the way they work together. Reading on here in verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So Jesus makes the choice to intentionally kick off his ministry by going out into the wilderness for 40 days, kind of a a solitude retreat away from the crowds, away from the people, focused entirely on communion with his Father. There's a word that's used quite often throughout Jesus' ministry, and it's the word that we translate into English, wilderness. But it's a Greek word, and the word is eremos. Can you say that out loud? Say eremos. So eremos, anytime you see the word wilderness or solitary place or desolate place, this is eremos. It's a desert. It's a wilderness. In fact, all four Gospels, every single account of Jesus' life includes details about his relationship with this place called the eremos. It's where he kicked off his ministry, spending 40 days in the wilderness or the solitary place with God. But it wasn't just the inauguration of his ministry. Like it wasn't just, hey, I'm going to go out for 40 days and be alone in the wilderness, and then I'm good to go for the rest of my ministry. No, for Jesus, the rhythm of his life was one of going to the Aramos and then coming back to people, going to the Aramos and coming back to people. It happened so many different times, dozens of times recorded in all four Gospels. And if you know anything about Mark 1, Mark 1, this chapter that we're in, is just one long day of Jesus' first, like, kind of start of his ministry. Like, after he returns from the Aramos, from the wilderness, it is one long day detailing all of the things that he did. So he goes to Galilee, he preaches the gospel, he heals some people, he calls some followers. It is a marathon day of ministry in Mark 1. It's just one day that it records But then what I want you to notice is in verse 35, where it picks up on the next day. Pay attention to what Jesus does after just one day of ministry. It says this in verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to an Aramos, a desolate place. And there he prayed. And so you have this picture of Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness, comes back and does ministry for how many days? One day. And then the very next day, you find him in the Aramos again, alone, in the solitary place. Where does your mind tend to wander when you find yourself alone? Like, do you have an Aramos in your life? Do you have a desolate place where you are intentional, where you have built your life around getting away from the noise and the chaos and the inputs of this world to go hear the voice of God. The the name that I give this for for my life is agenda-free time with Jesus. Agenda-free time with Jesus. Just space and time with no pressure, no agenda other than just cultivating a relationship. This 
is the Aramos. Do you have one of those? Do you have that place where you can go and be alone with God, where you have nothing to show or prove or accomplish? Do you have a place where you can truly rest, unplug, unwind, pray, and just be a human being rather than a human doing? See, I think what, what we see in Jesus' life is this relationship where the Aramos became the fuel for his mission and his ministry in the world. The Aramos was the place that he went where he was spiritually filled, where he experienced this beautiful relationship we see highlighted with the, the members of the Trinity, where he is filled up. And, and the cool part about this is what's true of Jesus can also be true of us. We have the opportunity and the invitation to experience the exact same thing in our lives. That when we unplug, when we silence other inputs and other voices in our lives, God desires to fill us. But I think, what, <laughs> I think what happens next to Jesus in the story, the very next verse, is probably way more indicative of most of our lives. Reading on in verse 36, this is what happens as Jesus is out in the solitary place. And Simon and those who were with him, so his disciples, searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Any parents in the room, can you relate to this? Right? You, you remove yourself from the noise and the chaos for just a moment. My wife and I, this was the other day, sometimes we just hide in our house, okay? And so we, we remove ourselves from the noise and the chaos, and finally our kids find us, and they're like, everyone's been looking for you. Solitude is such an act of rebellion against this way of thinking, against the busy and chaotic and failing kingdoms of this world that are telling you every single day that your value is in what you can prove, what you can earn, what you can learn, how you show up, how you accomplish, how you perform, how you earn love, how you pretend, how you conform. Your life, like 99% of your life, especially if you're not intentional about this, is, from vo is voices of marketing and advertising and people telling you, you perform and you earn love. Do you have an Aramos where you go and you have nothing to prove and you have nothing to show and you know in that place you're not earning God's love. He is pouring it out on you and filling you up. You see, friends, I could sit here and I could tell you how important it is that you build solitude into your life, even if you're an extrovert. Yes, where are my extroverts at? Anybody? A few of us want to admit it. Any introverts in the room? They're all at home. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're here. I love it. I got, I got some of both. I'm, I'm learning to embrace my introverted side a little bit more. But here's what I want to ask. What's at stake in our lives if we don't practice aloneness well? Like, what are we at risk of experiencing and walking through if we don't actually put this type of thing into practice in our lives? Well, have you ever been in a big city and looked up at the sky and all of the lights and all of the noise and all of the busyness dulls the stars to the point where you can barely see them? How many of us have ever experienced that before? Right, the, the noise and the chaos and the, the confusion and the light of this world has successfully dulled the stars. Congrats, humans, we did it. We dulled the stars. And yet, when you get out to a community like ours, rural roads and backwoods 
and country living, where there's not near as much light pollution, where everything's more spread out and solitude is actually a lot easier than it is in a place like a big city. And you look up, what do you see? A stunning sky of stars. There's nothing like it. And even we still get quite a bit of light pollution out here. Is that not a metaphor for all of our lives? Like so much of our lives are about the input and the noise and the chaos constantly being poured into us, constantly filling us. And it is no wonder why some of us cannot hear the voice of God in our lives. It is no wonder why the stars have been dulled for some of us. It is no wonder. It's no wonder why our minds wander a thousand different places when we find ourselves getting alone. You see, I, I think that's a metaphor for when we don't practice solitude. Because it's in the place of solitude, of aloneness where God, where God removes the chaos of the world from inside of us. Amen. Right? Let me say that again. When we remove ourselves from the chaos of the world and spend intentional time with God, he begins to strip back and remove some of the chaos of the world that lives within us. Amen. Solitude is the quiet place where God moves from the periphery of our lives, the edge of our lives, to the very center of our lives. Like if you live like this world, with the 24-7 inputs and the noise and the social media and constantly being on for everybody all the time, you will lose yourself trying to be everything for everybody else. Yes. You will. Like, if, if busyness proves how important I am, then I have to stay busy all the time, right? Like, if, if wealth proves how significant I am, then I have to grind it out 24-7 to earn as much money as I can because I have to prove I'm significant. If being well-connected to people makes me feel like I matter, then I have to make as many connections as humanly possible. If being outraged at the next culture war issue is what gives me a sense that I'm doing something right or making a difference in the world, then I'm going to live in a perpetual state of outrage all the time. Solitude is a different invitation. It's a better invitation. But it's no wonder that our minds wander when we get alone. Because the chaos of this world lives in our bones. Now, I'm the type of person, anybody else struggle with ADD at all? <laughs> what was the question again? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm the type of person that will like go up to my bedroom to get something, and then by the time I arrived at the top of the steps, I've forgotten what I went up to the bedroom to get. Anybody else? This is, I think, a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot more than I expected. I'm so glad I'm not the only one in that. But there's times, right, where we get alone and we try to be with God and our mind is just racing and we forgot the very reason we entered into this place to begin with because we're constantly distracted and busied and proving ourselves. Like, did you know it takes, on average, like the average person 23 minutes to get back on task when they get distracted. 23 minutes to get back on a task when they get distracted. And yet for Jesus, the desolate place, the Eremos, was the lifeline of his ministry. In fact, Mark 1 concludes with so many people coming at him from every direction. The crowd was overwhelming him that he ended up just staying out there in that desolate place for a while. 
He withdrew to isolated and desolate places. Why? Because Jesus' life embodied the same invitation of Psalm 46 that's available to you and me. And the invitation is, is this. It's to be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Some of us just need a reminder from time to time that we are not the center of the universe. That when we choose to remove ourselves, the world still goes on. That there is one who holds the world in order, and he is not me, and I am not him. He holds the world in order. He hung the stars. He's got this. You see, solitude is a powerful reminder that we are not the center of this whole thing. That we're not as as self-important as a lot of us might think we want to be. But it wasn't just Jesus who practiced this. Like so many people throughout this book, throughout these stories told in this book, practice this. Moses had one of his most clear encounters with God in his entire life and ministry in a solitary place on the top of a mountain. It's where he heard God. Elijah experienced God in the solitary place when he was in the depths of depression and despair. It was in the solitary place where he experienced the whisper of God's voice. By the way, a whisper that cannot be heard in the chaos. Paul, one of the greatest like apostles to ever live, kicked off his ministry with a multi-year kind of solitude retreat away from the world. Jews and Christians have been practicing solitude for millennia, like thousands of years. It's only been up until the last like 50 years or like 2007 when the iPhone came out where we've kind of stopped making this a priority. One of the things that I think we see a lot in the church is that for some of us, our, our view or vision of church history is just like the last 50 years of the American church of how it's always been done. I'm like, buddy, it's been done for like 2,000 years before that, okay? Like there's stuff that we have to learn from people who have gone before us. People who have come from different cultures and are endeavoring to follow Jesus. People who have different rhythms of their life that have endeavored to follow Jesus. And it's in this place of practicing solitude, of getting away from the noise, of silencing the inputs in our lives, where we can experience true peace and stability. It's in this place where our successes and our failures start to lose their power over us. It's in this place where we are reminded that God is God and we are not. It's in this place where we can stop living for the approval of everyone else around us or having somebody set us off just like that. It's in this place where we stop living so reactionary lives. And so why don't we? Why don't we make this an intentional practice in our lives? Maybe you do, but, but why don't we? Actually, I think you have something there. See, I think we could say, well, we're, we're too distracted and life's too chaotic and I'm too busy and it feels like a waste of time. But I wonder if there's a deeper issue at play for some of us. Like, I wonder if there's something deeper. See, I think some of us are terrified that if we get alone with God, one-on-one, just face-to-face, that he won't like us that he won't like what he sees. That we'll actually have to face some things 
and be exposed to some things that maybe we've been covering up with all of the chaos and the noise in the world. You see, the chaos and the noise of the world is a really useful drug for covering up some of the deeper stuff that God wants to unearth when we find ourselves alone with him. See, if you're here and your fear is that going to God one-on-one in the silence and in the solitude and inviting him to pour into your life and to speak into your life is just going to result in finding out that he doesn't like you all that much, can I say something? The cross of Jesus Christ says otherwise. The cross of Jesus Christ says otherwise. Because here's, here's the thing. When you look at Jesus' life and when you look at the desolate places that he chose to enter into, when you look at where he chose to remove himself from the crowds, why did he often do it? He did it for two reasons. To be filled with the love of his father and to be fueled for his mission on this earth. I've heard it said this way, that Jesus lived his entire life with one eye on his father and one eye on the world around him. Don't picture that in your mind because it's kind of cross-eyed looking, Jesus, but like that's metaphorically like true. Like one eye on his father, one eye on the world constantly. In fact, often when he went to that desolate place, the Aramos, he was praying for you, for his mission to you. You see, there's another desolate place that Jesus went to. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's in this place where the scriptures describe him sorrowful to the point of death, where he is heavy, where he is crying and sweating tears of blood, where he is overwhelmed, where he says to his father, not my will, but yours be done. You see, this desolate place is where he was equipped to go to the cross, to be betrayed into the hands of sinners and to lay his life down for the entire world. So if you are terrified that when you get alone with God and face to face with him, that he's not going to like what he sees, If you have trusted and given your life to Jesus, you know what he sees when you get to that place with him? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus in you. He sees the work of the cross over you. I love how 1 John 4 describes this, that that perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. There's so many, Hebrews talks about this, that we can enter into the throne room of God with full confidence and assurance. Why? Because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Amen. See, when God sees you, if you are in Christ, he sees his son, Jesus. And it's in this quiet place where we can be filled with the love of God, the overwhelming love of God. I loved what we sang earlier. God is madly in love with you. He is madly in love with you. That's not a watered-down gospel. That is the truth of the gospel, that he is madly in love with you. But it's in that place where we're faced with his overwhelming love and our overwhelming sin that we become amazed at his mercy and his grace towards us. See, when I bring the stuff in me that is sinful, that is out of order, that is anxious to a really big God who hung the stars but at the same time chooses to concern himself with my day-to-day, my anxious thoughts, my things that are coming up that I'm fearful of, my emotional mood swings, like the God of the universe who holds all of this in order 
concerns himself with me one-on-one, man, that's a pretty big type of love. That's a pretty overwhelming type of love. And so this agenda-free time with Jesus, you can fill it with whatever you need to. For, for me, it's, it's prayer oftentimes where I'm just bringing before fa- the Father what is in me, what I'm struggling with, where anxiety is living in my, lives, what I, my life, what I have coming up that is just not feeling right. Like I bring that stuff to God and he speaks and he moves in the midst of it. Every single um, year I, around this time, I take... Um, something called a study break. And a study break is just a, a period of time where I go away and I just sit in solitude with the Father. And there's kind of this mantra that I bring into my study break every single year. And this is one that you can put into practice in your life too. And, and the mantra is this, nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to show, nothing to prove. It is agenda-free time with Jesus. I have everything to gain and lose and show and prove everywhere else. But when I am in solitude with Jesus, it is all about just cultivating that relationship and being filled with his love. That's it. Like, it's not very complicated. It's simple. But one of the things I've noticed in my life is that I've been really trying to start paying attention to rhythms in my life. Like, where do I find myself getting more anxious? Where do I find myself being, like, shorter with people or reactionary? And I'll tell you this. One of the things that I've noticed, and I don't quite know why this is, but for me, June and kind of the start of summer every single year is kind of that time where my depression kind of kicks back in or my anxiousness kicks back in. And so often our natural natural kind of process with that is to isolate. It's to withdraw. Solitude is very different. Solitude is taking tools that we have into that lonely place and inviting God to fill us with what only he can fill us with. That's the difference. You see, I've shared this before, but 2018 was a really tough year on me and my family and the depression and just the over... And ironically, now that I'm thinking about it, it was around June when that kicked in. So every single year, it's around that time. But here's the difference between today and 2018 for me. I've learned the tools that I need to have in place to go and be filled with the love of God. Tools like counselor's offices who have the ability to say, hey, like, have you thought about this from this different way? Or when you react this way, have you, have you thought about this way to react? Like, where is this all interconnected for you? Like, this is what can happen when we enter into solitude. And it is the main difference between solitude and isolation where we can go and we say, God, this is what is in me right now. I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to hide. God is like the friend who can sit in silence with you. Right? The friend where there's, you know, they don't try to explain everything away. They don't try to, you know, silver lining sing or, you know, say, well, at least you didn't do that. No, God is the friend who has the ability to sit in the silence with you and just be, do you have that place in your life? Do you have that place in your life? where you can pray and you can bring anything before God that is in you. What I want to do is, as we close service today is I just want to walk you through three really, way, uh, three really simple ways to start putting this into practice for you. Like maybe you're thinking, that's great. Uh, I love that you have a study break, but what do I do with this chaotic and busy life that I have? Here are some simple things that you can do to put this into practice starting today. Number one is time. 
Be intentional, and this is the challenge for today. Be intentional with the last 10 minutes of your day for three to five days this week. Just be intentional about it. Just say, okay, I'm setting aside less than 10 minutes at the end of the day, every single day this week. When kids are in bed, when the house is more silent. And here's what I want to invite you to do. Identify a consistent place. So maybe for you, this is going on a walk. It's light till like 10.30 at night these days. So you can go on a late night walk, but maybe for you, it's going on a walk. Maybe for you, it's finding a, a corner of your home, a front porch, a back patio, whatever it might be, find a place that is consistent. And then the last one here is make space. Silence your phone. Limit distractions. Wait until the kids are in bed. <laughs> and then pay attention to your breathing. As you're sitting there, breathe in and breathe out. Allow God's love and his presence to wash over you. Relive your day with him. God, these were the interactions that I had that made my soul uneasy. God, this was the pain point of my day. These were the successes and the things that I'm celebrating right now. Take time in those moments to, to thank him for his presence and his nearness in those times. Guys, doing this is a powerful exercise in being filled with the love of God in a way that restores your soul, in a way that cares for the most important part of you. In fact, I, I believe in this so much that we spent some time this week kind of building a resource for us to try this out. And so if, if you go to newlifewayland.org soul, newlifewayland.org slash soul. I actually recorded a guided prayer. It's called a prayer of examine. It's less than 10 minutes long where it invites you to reflect on your day. Now, if you can handle hearing my voice during your nighttime prayer, that's fine. If you need to do something different, that's fine too. But I would love to just invite you to try this this week. Try it three or four times. Just at the end of the day, go to this website here and listen to that guided prayer. And watch what God does. And my hope in starting to do this is that you begin to develop rhythms that work for you in your life. Like maybe, maybe your solitary place becomes sitting alone in your boat as the lake wakes up. Maybe it's cruising down the open road on your bike as the sun is setting on your face. Maybe it's being stuck in rush hour traffic or construction traffic that actually becomes a place of peace, not more anxiety. Maybe it's taking that first sip of coffee alone in the morning before anyone has demanded anything from you. Maybe it's relaxing on a beach without a care in the world. Friends, God desires to fill you with his love and to restore your soul. Why? So that you can go out into this world and look like him. So let's pray, and then we're going to respond in worship. Jesus, we thank you for just how much you love us. God, even in the stillness and the quiet right now, like for some of us, this is the quietest our day would normally be all day. Even right now, we take a moment just to sit in that place. Nothing to gain. Nothing to lose. 
nothing to show, nothing to prove. Just resting in your love right now, God. So, Father, as we go out into this world, God, I pray that we will make this a priority in our lives. That we will make unplugging and listening and hearing and responding a priority in our lives so that we look like you in this world. Father, thank you for your love. It's in the holy and matchless name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.